0: Namo tassa bhagavato rahato samma sambodassa. Namo tassa bhagavato rahato samma sambodassa. Namo tassa bhagavato rahato samma sambodassa. Dhammam sanghamasami. Steering our way through the obstacle course (laughs) pleasure pain Mm. physical pain retracting from that physical pleasure trying to store up that and snuggle into that emotional pain, really not wanting that really not wanting to have that protect me from that stuff that gets under my skin bothers me when even the physical pain disappears feelings of inadequacy, doubt my being useful my life a waste of time am I going to end up on the rubbish heap of life <laughs> and uh, that sort of emotional pleasure the comfortable the benign the love the warm the at ease really want more of that Try to store that up and get my stash of that my territory where that will be laid on and guaranteed I'll be comfortable uh, (laughs) so you know this is kind of fundamental program isn't it? Varying topics that can ride on top of that, particularly the more the, the internal, emotional, psychological things where we feel welcomed and valued, respected, useful, going towards a good result, not just kind of humdrum porridge life, grey kind of life, just Slogging away, eating grim, grey porridge every day. So <laughs> we have in the monastery, it's a reminder. You know, <laughs> porridge in the monastery, it's a just how glum it can all get. Uh, the kind of, uh, and then what you want to make, put onto that. Now we put yoga on it. And this morning cronica was presented with this porridge with yoghurt and this kind of little ray of orange rings and a date stuck in it like a shiva lingam in the centre of it. We were quite excited at this uh, spectacle and he had the equanimity to handle it all get blown away by it. <laughs> yeah. Because most of us are looking for a bit bigger hit than that, something a bit richer, more intense, more useful. Or depending how we've configured, you know, sometimes it's just more serene or more um, tender, more kind of uh, refined emotional states, music, sounds, vistas, scenarios, interests, and so forth. But it all comes down to the, the hit, the soft hit, the gentle hit of ple- being pleased where something in us feels relaxed and we can snuggle, feed on it for a while. And then that nasty rough edge when it's taken away and it seems we can't get in it our food, our happiness food, our interest food you know, it's not actually directly painful, it's just the withdrawal or diminution of the of the pleasant. And the irony of it is of course is that that's the way it goes and it can't go on going more and more and more <laughs> pleasurable. But I imagine if we had our all of us had our porridge with yogurt and orange rings and dates in them after a while even such bliss would seem humdrum. He's going to keep lifting the bar and keep raising it up. This is what we're in, and it's like you know, bouncing around in the in this uh, pleasure, pain, feeling, experience. And so you know, sometimes you just like to not feel anything, <laughs> but that doesn't happen. to numb out. So it's one of the things when we've had a rough time, something that just wants to shut down altogether and just numb out. But you can't stay that net for very long. You know. So you get tight and retractive. And then more often you, know, you also begin to realise the unpleasant mental states that arise. Just the defending and grabbing and, and trying to you know, not be bothered with things, try to not be affected. So we get kind of tight and grim and shell like, you know. So you can develop this kind of carapace under the skin where you just kind of steal it out and you don't try not to feel things, and you can get a kind of a willful ideology that, that helps to back that up, you know, feeling just. Grimly shove on, push on. But then that gets kind of you can you can experience results of that. You become driven insensitive, and sensitive, uh, and all of it boxes us in, doesn't it? We remain you know boxed into our emotional states, boxed into our psychological states. And uh, it's the stress of of bouncing around and trying to find some place where we feel stable and settled in some way. The pleasure doesn't last. The uh, ideologies can't keep us going. You know, just trying to sustain oneself in some kind of ideological campaign or belief or strategy. You know, Religious beliefs you know, so forth. Belief in football is the way to avoid suffering. <laughs> Doesn't work. A lot of suffering in football. So it, it keeps it, it keeps us busy as well. This kind of bouncing around. And so you know it's like being one of those pinball machines, you know, like being a ball in you know, one of those pinball machines where you pull back a, a, a kind of a. Lever and then you let go of it, and this steel ball goes shooting up and it bounces off these various bumpers and it ricochets around bounce, 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 and it goes down the hole. (laughs) Do you ever feel like your life is like that? (laughs) (laughs) You know, the numbers flashing up, but you know, sooner or later it just goes down the hole again. You bounce, pleasure, pain, pleasure, pain down, <laughs> the The pinball machine of life, yeah. And we're very, you, you know, and you see the, the kind of conundrum of, of our of the, we take life very much as uh, what we do, our actions, and of course this is, uh, this is a big part of what we're about, is our activities. Most of our activities are about somehow or the other, building up or sustaining or holding or maintaining the base for more agreeable states and reducing and lessening the base for disagreeable states, that's pretty sensible, you know. So we're doing this all the time. And uh, as and a matter of, with, with uh, trying to understand Buddha Dharma, you, you begin to get some clues as to how to do that the best way you can so it's not going against that because you can't go against it you are going to go with it but you begin to see what's the best way I can actually do this and uh, you realise well after a while you begin to recognise really what makes it bad is just the um, the fear the anxiety and the grasping and the uh, uh, and all that, you know, perhaps uh, the physical discomfort or the psychological discomforts aren't so aren't so bad if I just kind of get big enough, big-hearted enough to to roll with it, to let them blow through. And it's kind of basic, you know, basic meditation practice is just about that, isn't it? You just anchor yourself down, sit there, and let stuff blow through as best you can. You know, you got try to. What do you do? How does that happen? You know, how come? How can we do that? Well, while you have the meditation object is something you can get a sense of a stable place. So breathing in, breathing out. Obvious meditation. Being with your body, just finding a stable presence. However you want to do it, you know, just being with space, whatever, whatever gives you that sense. You've got some sense that gives you the sense of a there's a stability there. It's not an ultimate something, but there's something stable there that seems a lot more steady and un. uh, not unless a matter of doing, it's something that happens by itself. That's kind of a steady presence of something that happens by itself. And within that, we can see, hey, this is better than all that other stuff that I'm doing. You know? All the scheming and the strategizing and the. Next time I see him, I'm going to tell him this. I'm really going to get peace of my mind, and you know, I'll sort him out. And what I want to do tomorrow is get that, figure that, and get that going, and I'll have one of these. And by the end of the week, I'll be like that. And, you know, the kind of things that we can be going doing, you know, uh, or fantasizing about the great time we had yesterday, or five years ago, or how good it's going to be in the future. You know, thinking, well, yeah, there are little bursts of. Satisfaction that occur with that, but they are they are actually not as good as just being steady and stable in the present and letting these things blow through because the energies are different. you begin to recognize as that underneath emotional and psychological content psychological and emotional activity there's just the fact of activity itself an activity yeah. The more activity there is, the more your mind is activated, the more it's having to juggle. The more it's so, the more possibilities, it like you're juggling 15 plates? There's a good possibility you're going to drop one. If you're not juggling, you're not juggling any plates, you can't drop them. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, the less you're actually doing, then somehow there's a sense of. Ah, oh, this is a little more easeful, isn't it? Right now I'm not doing all that. So you've got chapter one of the meditation manual, isn't it? Is keep your, leave your baggage outside the door. Just give yourself half an hour, Take escort all your concerns out the door. So could you wait out there for half an hour? Could you wait out there for an hour? You go on retreat. Could you wait out there for ten days? They don't want to wait out there. You know, you take the they come busting in again. <laughs> they don't want to wait out there for a minute. Yeah. You know, they say, I'm urgent, I'm necessary, I'm important, this is an issue, this is a big thing in my life. Don't sit there in denial and avoiding this. You know, so you you know, you, you kind of to do it, you can't just argue with the topics you've got to sense the energy of it. Just Because the topics always have got this attractive quality to them; Otherwise they wouldn't work. The topics are built out of our own amazing ingenuity. Amazing ingenuity and our own powerful emotive energy. And it's the emotive stuff that gives them the basic raw material of conviction. Because emotions move us. When we move, we feel, well that was real because I moved. Something in my heart moved therefore it was wasn't just the thought it really moved me that's real you know and that's what we kind of base our sense of conviction on reality upon is being moved so when you've got that fundamental programming then what you know to get that going it's like there's there's a need to be moved to feel solid and real so we tend to come up with the ideas and the thoughts and the memories that move us that's what happens. Mm-hmm. You know, so all the dreadful things, all the wonderful things, all the unresolved things, the problems, the intensities, you know, wow, they really get me going. So they must be real, because they get me going. You ever question that? They get you going. But does that mean going? Is that real? <laughs> is, that, is that ultimate? <laughs> because as you get to kind of recognize with things that get you going, they get you going, you get you going, you wind up, you run around, you do this, you do that. You know, it doesn't actually take you to a good place, does it? I don't know. It just doesn't seem to me. Where the good place is when finally ah, I stop going. You know, stop, I settle down. Oh, that's the feels the good place. And the goingness, the getting going stuff, the being moved stuff always says, follow this, and you'll get to the good place where finally it will be clear and settled and you'll be wiser and so forth. So, oh, yeah, right. So that's called karma. And uh, we're addicted to it, we've always operated like that. And karma is the sense of action, and action produces results, but results are never quite good enough, so we'll do another one. Well, that was quite good, but if we do it again a bit more like that, it will be a bit better, and then we'll sort that out, and that will be even better, and then it's just this slightly irritating bit here in my life. And if I just kind of clear that out, that will be fine. And that's funny. There's this other little annoying issue that's come up. And I'll sort that out. And then if only my uncle was like this, I'd, you know, and then so forth. So, you know, you, you realise you get the point after a while. It just isn't actually fundamentally getting any, ultimately, any better. We're just shifting the furniture around. But we still haven't found the comfortable seat. And, but all that shifting around has got a sense of conviction in it because it moves us. And we seem to be doing something. And we seem to be getting results. And we seem to be getting somewhere. And we are getting somewhere. We're moving round and round the room. <laughs> it's like musical chairs, you know. So, yeah, you're getting somewhere. You're getting to the next chair. You <laughs> haven't actually left the room, <laughs> and of course, you know, in the normal way of which we can think, and the way in which our social life and our worldview operates, is yeah, well, that's it. There isn't anything else, but this this particular room. that you die, and who knows, you know, because we're not dead, so that's the only way you get out. You drop dead otherwise you're here you've got to play the game you know and this is it in meditation you're starting to see how you, how you can get a little you know a little bit out of the room or the room can change a bit you know you can be a little bit less in your stuff a little bit less who you running your script for a few moments for sometimes for hours you know You can escort those things to the door and say, Well, later, you know. And you do that by feeling not hassling with them or wrestling with them. You know, it's like if you grab hold of one of these things, they're like octopi. You know, you try grabbing hold of a a big issue, it's got eight arms, it just curls around you, no problem. (laughs) So some of them you say, Well, uh, all I know is I can't actually wrestle with this thing I've just got to put it outside the door and you know find a place where I'm develop some strength some skills just by just by doing that much um, and this is kind of like the what we begin to cultivate in meditation there seems to be postponing um you know, or putting things aside and that certainly is part of it partly because the magnetism the magnetic pull of our past karma of the things we've been affected by of the things that affect us the things that move us is so powerful that you don't, re- you can't really handle it you, you touch it and it grabs you and you're in it and you spin and then you're just reacting yeah you know, which is what's you know you see this kind of global scenario people just heat it me first you know wars and things and people getting immediate flash reactivities and uh, and so on you know. but the advantage of just doing that daring that kind of going against the flow of of of, um, of view actually, you know. Don't just do something, sit there. <laughs> <laughs> There's a real going against even just well, okay, just do this for half an hour. It's not about the rest of your life, but just for half an hour, an hour or so. And see, you can actually use that because to find a sense of some stability some you know feeling good some okayness and then when you as that you feel and strengthen yourself with that then perhaps you're a little bit clearer you're you're a little less engaged you're a little less needy about the pleasures and the pains and the issues about of life so you're you're coming from a stronger perspective you can begin to meet them in a more balanced way and this is a, a basic, what you call samatha, calming, steadying the mind. Now it, tends to, it can get a bit of a bad write-up as if you're just ignoring issues or suppressing yourself or putting your head in the sand and so forth. But there's something pragmatic about it when you actually realise, well... Yeah, you know, but there's a lot of people who aren't practicing samatha who aren't really getting anywhere either. <laughs> you, know, you know, a lot of people who aren't meditating, they don't seem to be doing any better. So, you know, they're out there thrashing and fighting and arguing and so on. So, you know, let's just do this and and, and um, see where it, see where it goes. Because in that process, it's not, so uh, you've got to actually handle quite a lot of your physical discomfort, your emotional habits, you know attachments and so forth. And you get a, a lot of, um, by handling it, certainly with intention to, to find some stability and some calms and motivation there, but in, having to handle it, you begin to get to know it a little bit more. You know? And you recognise that all the thoughts really run on energy all the emotions run on energy as you calm down as you as you reduce the energetic voltage you, you feel you know you can still consider those topics but you're, you're less charged up so you know you're coming from a place of non-attachment Then, in fact, you can start to invite some of those topics in from outside the door and say, okay, now I'm no longer reactive. You know, your your, your your energy place is at a different level. You're steady. And then, well, what's the, well now let's investigate this. So then you develop investigation into the, you know, the problems you have, the conflicts with other people, the things we feel tenacious about or held or held by. Yeah. Actually, what's the meaning of this? You know, what's this really about? Can I be honest about this? What's the? What's in this for me? Yeah. As always, the fundamental message that, uh, that comes through that investigation is, you know, the need to feel uh, solid, stable, contented, worthwhile, valued, whatever you like to call it, you know, the sense of being a useful, happy, contented entity, you know, whether we do that through Feeling we're higher than people or the same as people or, you know, useful to people or loved by people or a genius in our own right and not needing anybody. <laughs> you know, whatever it is, whatever your take on it is, whether you be enlightened being or it's some sense of self goes on with it. And, uh, you know, and then you kind of, well, who is that, you know? Who could that be? What what gives you that impression? What gives rise to that impression? Who is it? Who's bouncing around here anyway? This is the kind of um, investigation. It's not really, you know, that we're inquiring into because you begin to see that the, the sense of self is itself a kind of uh, an assumption, an inference, basic inference. I'm the one who dis- does things, and I'm the one who receives the results of them. So a sense of self is based upon karma, cause and effect. I'm the one who does something, yeah, and I'm the one who gets the results. I do the good things, I get the good results. Yeah, I said something, and then I get, you know, I get the results of it. Certainly, but then when you look at it, you like, yeah, there's cause and effect. Something is happening, there are actions and results, and there's remembering them, and yet, actually, isn't it just that? Isn't it just kind of patterns and programs occurring? Memory. And uh, isn't, doesn't it go funny? Because the. do two people remember the same thing? It's really interesting when you live in a a community, a group of people who've got a lot of attention and we're kind of doing the same things most of the time, and yet, you know, two weeks go by and you try and actually assemble, you know, uh, a a memory of of the last week that everybody agrees upon or what was said. (coughs) We go to, we have various committee meetings, Sangha Trust meetings, and, and even getting people to agree upon what happened in the meeting when, the, when it was written down. <laughs> you know, the different inferences. I had this interesting, and the longer it gets, the, the weirder it gets. I had this interesting experience earlier this year when I went to visit an old friend of mine. Um, I was in Wales, and he happened to be in Wales. I was in Wales teaching, so I I'd drop in on him on the way back. So I was, I was being driven by another old friend of mine. So there was these three of us, and the one guy who lived in Wales, Ross, he remembered me, and my friend Eugene. We'd been together 30 years ago. Eugene didn't remember Ross at all. He didn't know the guy existed. You see, I remember both of them. Eugene, rem- Ross, remember both. But Eugene didn't even remember who this guy was, and we'd all. But we all all had realised we'd been in Nice in 1969 or something, or 1970 or something like that, 30 years ago. And so we got together, and Eugene said to Ross, I don't know who you are, I don't even remember you. And Ross said to Eugene, I remember you. You used to wear purple trousers and have an Afro haircut and a leather jacket. Good gracious, that's true. And you were in Nice. Yeah, I was in Nice. And you broke your leg in Nice. No, I didn't break my leg in Nice. You fell out of a window. No, I didn't. And I said, I don't remember him falling out of a window, but he did wear a leather jacket. (laughs) And so we found out we were sharing these accounts of what happened in Nice 30 years ago. And none of us could agree upon what actually happened. (laughs) We all had these very strong impressions of... um, of being there, and we all knew we'd been there. That was the only thing we knew. We'd been there, but what actually happened in this time, we didn't. We couldn't actually agree upon. And then Ross said, "And remember the Swedish girl." I said, "Swedish girl? What Swedish girl?" He said, "You know the Swedish girl with the withered arm." And suddenly, I got this picture. Of this girl with a with a. My goodness. I haven't thought of her in thirty years, and but she wasn't in Nice, was she? Was she? <laughs> was was she in Nice, and I wasn't in Nice. What what actually happened? So this kind of just got this. I couldn't place where this person was. This Swedish girl. She's kind of still floating around in my mind, like a dis, like a completely fragmented memory chip, just looking for something to belong to. I know she existed, I think. So when you begin to see these, what we remember, often you, you get these kind of poignant pieces like, you know, a sense of a face or a memory that really means something, but you can't connect it to what it meant, what to anything else. And you're sure that what he said was that, but... He says he didn't, she says that. So there are causes and effects happening, but actually what we retain is a bit biased and shaky and subject to change. Hmm? And suddenly it pops up, doesn't it? The past suddenly pops up out of nowhere. Why does that happen if it's past? you begin to recognize that actually, right now, this process of cause and effect is continually stirring up assumptions, interpretations, the past, the present, the future, based upon what was poignant, disturbing, what moved us. And what moved us, that's the fundamental message. What moved us, what moves you, is what you are, what you belong to, what disturbed you, what you rejoiced around, what worried you, what hurt you, you know, what shook you, what caressed you. That's what you are. You're, you, know, you may not think it, but that's what you feel yourself as being. And all the time we're looking for a bit more of that in some way or another. What that is, is karma and addiction to it. You get hooked on the stuff. It's like uh, the swinging pendulum of a hypnotist. You know, you're waving this silver pendulum in front of your eyes, you're looking at it. Eventually, you just go in this kind of trance. That's, that's it. <laughs> and yet, you know, that's going on. Huh? And everything that we sense ourselves as being is in in that trance of movement and being moved and moving on to the next thing that will be. But movement can't find a place where it stops because movement is movement. You can't have a movement that's at rest. You can't have a movement that's stable. You can't have a movement that's finished. Otherwise it's no longer a movement. So as long as we're... Addicted, mesmerized by karma, by past events, by past influences, by aspirations and hopes for the future, by being disturbed in the present, we're actually never going to find a place where we feel satisfied in ourselves. Our lives will never be that way. Our lives will always just be in this kind of boiling and bubbling, shaking and turmoil. And, yeah, is that all? Because if it is, well, fine, that's the way it is. And we'll just have to to do the best we can with it. But in doing the best you can with it, actually starting to handle some of these energies, some of the vigor of them, you realize actually they're not as fixed as you seem, as they seem. You can cool them down. You can actually dissipate them. You can turn your mind this way, and you can turn your mind. When you turn your mind to uh, away from a, a powerful or an irritating or a fascinating object, oh, and you hold it away from it, it you know it, it, it shifts, it changes, and you can find a sense of stilling and silences and moments when the the process of mind hovers and rests and is kind of quiescent. And poised, you're kind of coming out of that. So movement is movable. You can you can shift the gears. You, know. you can you can turn it down. You can turn the volume down. You can switch bits off. That gives us some sense of detachment, dispassion towards karma, towards movement, towards cause and effect. And you get less invested in it. Because when you begin to really examine how thoughts arise, if you you do action, there must be a place where you do it. Where does it start? Where does action begin? When you're going to do something, where does it begin? You ever seen that? <laughs> something, something happens, doesn't it? You know, a thought pops up, a mood comes up. Mm. Where does that come from? How much of it just kind of happens by itself, doesn't it? You look at something for a while, and then, bong! Oh, that needs cleaning, well, I'll fix that it kinda of happens, it just is evoked. It just arises. Karma arises up dependent upon contact, upon seeing something, hearing something, being told of something, being informed of something, there's a re- that's the that's the cause, you receive that, there's an effect, you act. There's a response. Hmm? Now if you take Take this self out of it, you can say, yes, there's, there's an effect, there's a cause, because of that, actions arise, that's what happens. That's what goes on, isn't it? But it's not as if, um, you know, but you're the, the, you actually, some autonomous self did that. It just was events happening. And we can make a lot out of it. Because once, you know, there's been that cause and effect response, and there's been action and engagement, and we've come to some place with that, we thought, hey, I did all right there, I was good, fine, or I didn't do so good. Suddenly, we value, there's a valuing, an inference based upon that. And uh, most of us are looking to be successful in some way or another. You know, not necessarily in a material way, but a competent people um, succeeding in the game of life, feeling, getting the good results, getting the rewards, praise, interest, warmth, and so forth. And we don't, but you know, so that kind of trying to look out for the signs that will make help that to happen. And you get results, but it's not quite enough. So we do some more. That's, that's what happens. So that there isn't actually a me that, that really gets the result. There is a result, but the result fades. You, know, you get the happy moment or the successful moment, and it kind of passes. So you can't actually accumulate it. So the sense of actually originating karma and actually inheriting or uh, the results is is a fallacy. There are causes and there are effects, but there isn't somebody who's going to get them and who 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 brings them up. They just occur. So so you know you can spend a lifetime running around that that karma. You know, try doing the best you can, pulling the levers, sensitizing, shifting through levels, finding the thing to do that will get you to the good place. And it it doesn't do it, because it can't. But there is a karma that leads out, which is the, the sense of actually handling the process of energy, attachment, fascination, attraction, aversion the the handling or turning our our attention towards the very activations that we get involved with the, the reward systems that we imagine are there the the blame that we that we fear that we imagine is there the sense of gain and loss that we that we experience in our lives yeah. and in meditation you know which in a way is sort of brings it all into a very compact form. You have these experiences of, you know, a good one and then boing, a bad one. (laughs) You know, feeling really a bit more loose and easy and then tightening up and reacting and getting tense again. You know, you get gain loss, gain loss, success failure, success failure happening. Uh, Until you, you come out of that, being so mesmerized by that that karma so funnily enough that means that you don't you don't hit the ground so much and you don't cling to the to up in the air so much so you become much more kind of non-positional on core on gain and loss and that, although that would seem to be setting you up for you know failure like if you don't if you don't put in all the real effort you're not going to get the results. There is a subtler kind of effort which is aimed at dismantling the process of gain loss, gain loss, gain loss. Yeah. In because that's something that your mind sets up, isn't it? That's the construction of your own mind. Gain and loss, isn't it? Success and failure particularly on a kind of psychological level, who's a success? Who's a failure? You know, our mind says that. And in meditation, you know, so often people, oh, I well, really. What was the finishing post that you expected to go past? Where was the checkered flag with nirvana written on it? Or, <laughs> you know, who, who, where did that one, that set up, what was the good one? And, you know, there is that, that direction of karma, but really the, the aim is to get off the, off the track. <laughs> Where you become more dispassionate towards praise, blame, gain, loss, status, renown, loss of it, and so forth. And you, you, see, you can see your mind bouncing around and hankering and fretting. You just don't stop doing that. You know Because all of that is an inference. The world throws it at us, you know. Great beings and lesser beings, famous beings and, and no accounts, winners and losers, masters and dupes, you know, people who made it, success their life, and people who just flopped out. <laughs> Samadhi kings and the rest of us pettujaners kind of, you know, so you get into that kind of, I don't want to be a patugina, whatever that is. A dummy idiot, didn't make it all these years. But as long as you're getting that tight, driven anxiety sense, you're actually etching in the praise gain success failure system. And you can't, you can't get out of that one. As long as that one exists, you can't, you can't get free from that one. There isn't an ultimate success. The addiction to karma keeps us looking for the ultimate result. But there isn't an ultimate result. There's momentary results. There's no ultimate result. So really the whole subtlety, once you've got some stability, once you've got some basic ground, is to start to look at these things. It may not even be that clear to you. Do you realise something you're still actually pushing for a little bit more of this and a bit worried about a little, not having enough of this and sort of slightly wobbly because of this? You know, the, the shaking and the, and the, and the, and the judging and the appraisal of the mind and you realize that right there, there is practice because right there the mind is moving, shaking, anxious, looking, worried. Just work with those energies, the doubt in the mind, the wavering havering in the mind, the looking for solutions in the mind the sense of I am this that occurs in the mind with the tension and the grasping of that, just work on the energies of those. You feel them. You know, you can you can feel these energies when they get into your heart. You feel speedy, gripped, flopping, sinking, woozy. You know, they're, they're very easy to, to recognize energetically. We all experience them. Sometimes they affect your body. You kind of go clamped up or your body sinks and sags under the under the weight of these things. So they do advertise their presence. But like you know, like the hypnotist pendulum, it's standing right in the face, as this is just the pendulum, and you keep looking at it, <laughs> thinking, I'm just witnessing this. I'm being mindful and witnessing this. <laughs> But you don't get. Mindfulness isn't about witnessing your delusions in that way. Mindfulness is about saying, "Wait a minute. What's the hand behind this pendulum? Who's swinging this thing?" You know, a bit of investigation is required, a bit of initiative, a bit of angling, a bit of you know, coming out of the box of the way we conceive our lives. Who's getting? Who's who's actually waving this stuff? Why do, I, why do I fall for it? That's action. That's a skillful karma. It's got a karma of inquiry. Yeah. And you look behind the topic that's getting you going. Getting, you know, being stirred up. What's, what's that mean? What's happening to me? Why am I hanging on to these, you know, details and things in my life? It's really kind of awkward in, in, um, you know, in monastic life. You see it also such a raw way because a lot of what we, ang- I mean, we get, because it isn't really, you know, the kind of basic four requisites are offered. Food, shelter, lodging, medicines, you know. So all that, the game's over. We're all successes. We're all retired millionaires. You know, well, we're retired, anyway. <laughs> so that's the end of that game. Right. And then we've given up, you know, attracting each other. So we don't have to go into that one. So it's the end of that game. So, you know, it's, it must be something. So we start running other, you know, like other games. like Meditation, status, solid. who gets most privileges, this and that and the other. We get, you know, who's got the best monastery? What's the best monastery? A really crack monastery, really tough outfit, really. no talking, everybody's, you know, really right in there. Good monastery, bad monastery, people are yapping, monks are scruffy, you know, people are slumping around. Bad monastery. I don't want to be considered a bad monastery, I want to be considered a good monastery. Good monastery, and these people have these kind of wish lists of the perfect monastery. You know, of course, it's like it doesn't actually exist on the planet. Apart from, it's generally somebody else's monasteries. <laughs> <laughs> so we can get kind of caught in how many hours work, How many hours of do work they do at a Bayagiri? More or less, okay. Do you have to go to pujas there or not? Oh, okay. Put that one on. What about requisites? Do you get your own stash? Do you get your own tea and coffee, or you've got to oh, okay, a tot it all up. You know how much time to get off. You know, do you have to go to everything, or you get time off? Tot these things up. We've got a good library you can absorb into? Or what's the agile like? Is he tough, or he let you go? Someone you can. So you get these kind of things going on, and. Uh, when you're in, then you can kind of get you have authority positions in monasteries. You want to be a really. Nobody's going to pull the wool over my eyes. I'm really going to be on top of this outfit, you know. So you get into control. And the tea towels have to be folded this way. Don't want a sloppy tea towel in this, my monastery, because I'm the kitchen manager. So, you know, then you blow up about somebody not folding the tea towels. You know, you kind of see these these uh, wishes, these senses to, to really get the best and make it work and be the excellent, and so on. And how totally wretched it makes you. <laughs> Tight. <laughs> and grudging, begrudging and, and critical. It makes you... You know, we all, I'm sure we all go through this kind of petty-mindedness of, of our obsession with details and picking at, it, picking at other people's little foibles and flaws and it's uh, you know, kind of witness this you see how the mind can do that and how it kind of gets going on what gets us going whereas we kind of say well, yeah, it's all monasteries they're all sort of okay really, good enough she's good enough he's okay reasonable they're fine it's okay well that doesn't sound very interesting you know nothing to get really get going on that one it's porridge again isn't it but when you actually you want to do that come to the places where it's not a drama where it's not special, where it's not agonizing, where it's not fantastic, it's just, mm-hmm. mm. where you don't make it, where there's nothing to be made of it. That's what you're kind of aiming for. Because then you get some perspective on being moved. And how, how good is being moved? <laughs> how good is it? You know, how much good does it do you? Is this really the, 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 the pinnacle of life? Because when you come to uh, more, the being less moved, it doesn't mean you not, you can't discern, but you've actually got more space. You've got more capacity. If you're getting moved by things, then you get absorbed and rolled around by things. If you've got more space and more openness and less movement, more equanimity, more dispassion, then you actually a lot more things can happen because you've got more room. And you've got that kind of base that you can go back to, that you can stay with, so you don't roll with it all, you don't jump with it all, you don't bounce with it all, you don't go to the pinball, pinball table of life, bouncing around. You get out. But that's not a getting out that dismisses, it's a getting out which, which is able to actually get around this stuff. Yeah. so it's like this, the almost like that quality can actually handle our life rather than be handled by it can handle the sensory world rather than be handled by it can handle praise and blame rather than be thrown by it can handle gain and loss and death and suffering and joy and beauty without being thrown by it When we handle it we realise this is this it passes. Mm. Doesn't mean it's we don't notice it, but we notice it's like this. And you get skillful at knowing you know how you can you've got some choice then at how what you pick up. You're not just immediately stuck. What and you pick up what you find is skillful from a place of compassion, what is skillful from a place of this would help me to develop a little more spacious, a little more, pa- little more dispassion, you know, a little more breadth in myself, rather than hang on to my bit. So for myself, I've certainly find, you know, community life is something that's an immense challenge, an immense task, an immense practice, and I, but I do feel it's something I instinctively feel. Is for my benefit. Hmm. Because, you know, when you have to accommodate so many different views and opinions and feelings and emotions and your own, (laughs) the only place you can go to to handle all that is (laughs) is outside it, you know, which doesn't mean ignoring it, it means you've got to get bigger than all of it. And if you take a stand on any of it, any opinion, including your own, you know you're going to suffer. Particularly if you take a stand on your own. <laughs> That's the one I got. I, you know, I don't have much control over other people's opinions, but I can have some say over my own. <laughs> well, I don't. I don't need to. You know. Uh-huh. And so then that that kind of, I realized it's great because I'd probably really believe my opinions if I didn't, you know, have that process of seeing what an opinion does is seeing if there's one less opinion that makes life easier. And the one less opinion there can be is mine. (laughs) That's the one I can do something about. You know? Whereas there's something, you know, where in this like oh, I just get away and I'm gonna get it my way and I'm gonna bother with all this stuff. Do it the way I feel comfortable, for, works for me and is mine. And I feel like doing, I'll do it this way and I don't even bother with consulting anybody else and going through that kind of hassle. Great, you know. You know where that's gonna go, you yeah? Into the little fortress of self, you know, me, mine. And uh, that illusion, and it still isn't going to work because there's going to be pain, separation, disappointment, you know, and the futility of trying to make life go my way. So I find that the you know the human, when you actually handle this stuff, karma, as karma as cause and effect, as actions, as this kind of hypnotic process that we've been born into and born because of this process of karma, of cause and effect. That's how you got here in the first place. Yeah. And then you can't, you know, you can't get out of it through any reaction. You can only get out of it through handling it and seeing it for what it is and not making more of it. Yeah. That's the bit. So, you know, you kind of can see how the bit that you can begin, you can work on is lessening your, your own karma and that gives you the space to handle more and more of what's going on around you and not to be rattled by it, not to be thrown by it. Because life is kind of like an obstacle course. It's like a booby trap. Everywhere you go, there's these little things that you're going to touch and they're going to wind you up. You know, there's a physical form. You're going to be attracted to it. Or, you know, or your own physical form. You're going to want it to look good and be healthy and look nice. It's a booby trap, you know. It's sitting there saying, grab hold of this one. (laughs) You've got to really, you know, weave your way around that. Because this is a big thing, isn't it? Just having a, a, a nice body. Yeah. I mean, this is what's selling everything. Nice bodies. People selling mobile phones, they've got nice teeth. <laughs> nice noses and nice teeth. And no one look happy when they're making phone calls. I never look happy when I'm making a phone call. And I haven't got no. nice teeth. And my nose is broken. You know, why do they get a nice body? The nice bodies, but you know how nice is a body when they get about eighty-five years old and bloated and blue and varicose veins and their teeth dropping out, their hair gone grey and white, half blind, deaf, stupid, pain in the back, can't move. <laughs> Great. <laughs> you don't want to buy into that one. That's the big. I mean, the bo- you know it's so obvious. This is a booby trap. You know. So, you know, you kind of, you'd learn how to steer around these things because you're in one and yet you don't want to make any more calm around of it, either hating it or being fascinated by it. This is the body. Leave it alone. You know, just, just, just don't mess with this thing. Just, you know, put it somewhere tidy. Keep looking after it. Don't get stuck in this thing. You know? Then you've got this mind. This mind is like a mad octopus. And it's you know, body is pretty passive little booby trap compared with the mind. The mind is throwing up all kinds of little booby traps all the time, you know. And after a while, you've been bounced around by this thing. After a while, you say, look. After a while, you begin to say, wait a minute. That stuff of being moved, wound up, fascinated, excited, irritated, angry, disappointed, worried, you know, that's all it can do. Don't into that you know it's not <laughs> it's a, it, it doesn't take you out it can only throw you around hmm? and yet okay there's a mind there are thoughts there are opinions there's things we need to do fine yeah but first of all find your ground where your, your stability You get around the mind, you get with the mind, you get rather than in it. You get with your emotions rather than in them. And then you've got some ways of actually weaving through the obstacle course. You're doing what you can that's good and skillful. What you can't do, you can't do. Mm -hmm. What you can do, you can do. And in either of those cases there's no praise and no blame. You, know, you, you realize you're at peace with yourself because you you did what was possible without um, getting stuck and you weave through you move through this is certainly something we can um, consider in our lives I mean, testing ground you know is, is in meditation because this is where really you know it's a, it's, it's just this is your stuff isn't it it's very obvious so this is where you can actually really look at the, the primary qualities of being you know physical quality of being the emotional quality of being and the conceptual the thinking quality of being can you say you're anything other than that you know? No, that's really what you say you are, isn't it? That's what you sense yourself as being. All that being is doing. It's not being at all, it's just doing. It's just continual doing and doing and doing itself. It's doing being. Hmm? That itself is, you know, it can't go anywhere except to more of that. And you but you can see how you can shift it, you can quieten it, you can work with it, you can investigate it, you can go against the flow of it, you can tackle the push of desire, you can handle the the, the edge of wrath and irritation, and you can soften the, the the hit of grief, you can expand, you know, you can work with these things, you don't have to be stuck in them. And through that you begin to get a sense of there's a possibility of standing Around this stuff, rather than being in it, you begin to investigate. This is where the suffering ceases. This is where the being oppressed ceases. This is the where the being caught ceases. Not through actually running away from it, because you can't. There isn't an away. There's, there's you know, there's defence systems, but there actually isn't an away. But through finding a place where you can handle karma. As it is.